0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister plans to meet one-on-one with the opposition leaders before heading back to the House of Commons.
1: They're going to need our help if they want to deliver a national strategy to to reduce our emissions. They're going to need us and we're ready to work, uh, but we're going to hold them to account because we're going to demand real action that's going to benefit Canadians and Uh, real action that's going to tackle the problems that we're faced with.
0: Hundreds of separatists rally in Alberta on the weekend. Be ruled by Justin
1: Trudeau or somebody worse for the rest of our lives or vote for separation.
0: And with the future of Andrew Scheer still being debated, the Conservative caucus will meet on Wednesday.
1: We've seen some people have put their names to the grumbling like uh, Terrence Young, former federal MP uh, who ran again but uh, didn't get elected. uh, Complaining about Andrew Scheer, we've seen Pierre McKay makes some criticism, but say that he supports Andrew Shear.
0: It's Monday, November 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Bill Curry of The Globe and Mail. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. How's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? Great. This is going to be an interesting week, and uh, we have lots to cover in terms of some big things coming up this week. But let's start with uh, what Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, is planning. It appears he is going to meet with the different opposition leaders heading into this minority parliament. So as he prepares to put together a cabinet and as uh, he prepares a throne speech, he's also going to sit down with Andrew Scheer and Jugmeet Singh and Elizabeth May and presumably Yves-François Blanchette. So what do you expect to come from those meetings?
1: Yeah, well, we still don't have a date for when the House of Commons comes back, but one of the first things will be the phone speech, as you mentioned. And so uh, with the minority parliament, it's very important for the prime minister to be in sync with the other party leaders and, and what they might want. Um, it certainly seems like, uh, as he, from his first news conference, he's going to try to govern without a formal coalition with any party. But at the same time, he's still going to need votes from one party or another to get through key confidence votes, and so the throne speech is a, is a key confidence vote. So while you don't have to really cave to the demands of all uh, everything a single party is, uh, is looking for, you still have to give uh, some parties a reason, kind of, to save face if they do want to support you or, or hold back their their MPs and enough to, to allow something to pass. So when the government comes out with a throne speech. Trudeau's got to make sure that there is something that at least one of the parties that have a balance of power situation, which there's three, so at least one of them can say, you know, that there's, there's something there that we really like, and that's something we can vote for. So for the NDP, maybe that's language about uh, pharmacare. Maybe that's uh, something you can vote for. Uh, for the Conservatives, maybe that's the talk of a personal income tax cuts or uh, maybe even a free trade deal with uh, the United States, or the bloc has been big on having the free trade deal include compensation for farmers. So those kinds of issues, uh, all the other parties are really laying out their top priorities. And so there's got to be at least... uh, lip service or some kind of substance there that uh, some other parties can support when it gets time to delivering that throne speech.
0: Yeah. And the Prime Minister, of course, uh, is going to have to grapple with this issue of what to do about Western Canada. As we've talked about many times, uh, he doesn't have any MPs in Alberta or Saskatchewan. And on the weekend, there was a, a gathering. Some people put the crowd at 700 people in support of this Wexit movement. Uh, how do you see that playing out? Where do you see that movement going, and how legitimate is it?
1: Well, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a major issue in terms of full uh, you know, withdrawing from Canada, but but in terms of the general uh, malaise in Western Canada about uh, federal policies, that that's definitely an issue. Separation, I don't think we need to worry about too much in the present time, but definitely the Prime Minister is going to have to respond in some way to the fact that there are... Uh, two provinces in particular where the majority are very unhappy with the way things are going in Ottawa. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see from a practical point of view how he does that. Uh, does he name somebody to his cabinet to represent those provinces? Um, he's talked about giving a formal role for Anne McClellan. He's been talking a lot to um, Nenshi in Calgary. And um, but, you know, is that going to be enough? Uh, is he going to have to do more with those premiers? Is he going to have to spend more time in those provinces? And then policy-wise, what is he going to do? Um, he's already working towards uh, getting that Trans Mountain pipeline built, but you know, does he backtrack on some of the uh, energy approval bills that were pretty controversial? Um, so there's there's both the symbolism and the substance, substance that he's going to have to address. That yeah. was interesting when John Crutcher John was in the news recently saying, you know, this isn't entirely something new. Like the uh, uh the Liberals have never had great success in Saskatchewan or Alberta. So that was a little bit of context there. And you know, there there were times, as you know, there used to be the reform party in the West wants in that had the majority of seats in Western Canada. So we're a long way from from there, but it's it's certainly not something that can be ignored by this government.
0: Yeah. Now, this Wednesday is shaping up to be a big day on Parliament Hill. There are going to be caucus meetings for the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party. We'll talk more about the Conservatives in a moment. And in addition to that... Uh, there's going to be a visit from U.S. House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal. He's going to meet with the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Christia Freeland, who's in that portfolio for now, as everybody <laughs> is until November 20th, and as well with the Prime Minister. And they're apparently going to talk about the ratification process for the new U.S. Canada Mexico. Trade agreement. Uh, so that's an important day for the government on that file. And I know a lot of people are still trying to read what's going on in the United States and whether or not this deal will actually get passed in the U.S. Congress.
1: Right, because after they sign the deal, then there's the ratification process. And Mexico's already done both of those things, but the U.S. and Canada haven't done the ratification. And a lot of the attention has been on the, the dynamics of the, the House and Senate in the United States and how how they might get this through and more recently it's starting to look like they are actually going to be able to get that uh, through congress in the u.s and canada had been kind of waiting um waiting to see what would happen with the u.s so and the Liberals had a majority in the spring they could have easily just passed the ratification bill themselves but they were waiting and waiting and waiting and now they're back uh with the re-elected government but a minority situation so where do the votes come from that uh, the NDP has been pretty critical of the new nafta deal um the bloc as we were just talking about has some concerns about compensation for farmers um, perhaps conservative mps would support it but at the same time andrew shear has been saying it wasn't that great of a deal so uh but you also had rona ambrose the former interim conservative leader who was a big part of the canadian team and pushing for the deal so you would think at the end of the day maybe the conservatives would allow that to pass but it's not a, not a guarantee, so there's going to be some maneuvering, for Ms. Freeman or whoever uh, Freeland, sorry, who or whoever becomes the foreign affairs minister after the uh, cabinet announcement, to get this through the House of Commons here.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it is uh, not something that was discussed a whole lot during the election campaign, but it is one of the biggest files that the government has to grapple with as it gets back to business. And that's often the nature of politics is uh, what you talk about during the campaign isn't what you work on uh, during your mandate. Um, Let's turn to the Conservatives because perhaps the biggest event of the week, barring unforeseen circumstances, will be the caucus meeting for that party. On Wednesday, there has been a lot of uh, discussion about the future of leader Andrew Scheer. He apparently did meet with some defeated candidates over the course of the past week, and uh, many people are wondering uh, how this uh, situation with his leadership is uh, going to evolve over the days and weeks ahead. So this this caucus meeting obviously will be an important test, won't it?
1: Yeah, that's be really very interesting, because we've seen some people have put their names to the grumbling, like uh, Terrence Young, a former federal MP uh, who ran, again, but uh, didn't get elected, uh, complaining about Andrew Shear. We've seen Pierre McKay make some criticism that say that he supports Andrew Shearer. Uh, there's been some candidates uh, from Quebec that have been unhappy, but it's not uh, clear yet whether that's uh, sniping on the margins or if this is a, a big uh, problem for Andrew Shear in the caucus. Another interesting twist is people might remember uh, Michael Chong, um, when he was a uh, backbencher, passed his private member's bill that would have given caucus MPs, uh, mem- or MPs in a caucus a lot more power over the, uh, who is the leader of their party. And that was passed before the last parliament, and all of the main caucuses chose not to use those rules. It's you kind of have to have a vote right off the bat to decide, yay or nay, if you're going to use those rules. And uh, there was a report this week uh, recently that uh, Michael Chong was reminding people that, uh, you know, these rules are in place, and if you want to, there's a, there's a, an avenue here where uh, a caucus, in this case the Conservatives, could decide to make these rules apply, and then there'd be a certain threshold in which uh, the caucus could trigger a review of the leader. So it's probably unlikely to happen, given the last round of the Conservative caucus chose not to use those rules, but uh, it's um, it adds to the drama heading into Wednesday, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what happens there. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Mark. Have a great week.
0: That's Bill Curry of the Globe and Mail. I do think that you'll probably see a fair bit of activity in this Parliament. I think it'll be productive. Now, here's what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Penny Collinet argues, a minority government is a chance for Justin Trudeau to show leadership. Collinet writes... Self-scrutiny is excruciating for a leader. It requires brutal personal honesty, while simultaneously encouraging honesty from others. The Prime Minister may be told to focus on authenticity rather than charisma. He may be told to establish strong relationships with other leaders. He may be told to expand his political network across the country with regular calls. He may be told to pay far more attention to caucus relations. Leadership opportunities often appear in minority governments. This is Justin Trudeau's moment. In the Toronto Sun, Jim Warren makes the case for a leadership change in the Conservative Party. Warren writes, Andrew Scheer could be forgiven by Conservatives for mistakes he made before the election. Scheer could be forgiven by Conservatives for mistakes he made during the election. But Conservatives should not forgive the mistakes Scheer has made since the end of the election. He has demonstrated that he did not learn that he needs to broaden his appeal to middle-of-the-road, working-class Canadians. The voters who ultimately decide who will be Prime Minister. Scheer lacks the political acumen that a winning politician has to have. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues the federal government is not to blame for the loss of Encana. The Globe writes... Blaming Encana's failure on Ottawa is inaccurate and unfair. Its decline and the decision to move its head office stem from poor choices made in a Calgary boardroom a decade ago. Reasonable people can debate to what extent the Trudeau government has made policy mistakes that have hurt the oil patch. But those are a sidebar to Encana's sad story now let's look at what's coming up on canada's political agenda in ottawa the minister of veterans affairs lawrence mccauley will speak and lay a wreath at the annual ceremony of remembrance in the senate to kick off veterans week and that's cpac today in politics for monday november 4th tune into primetime politics tonight on cpac for coverage of all the day's events our podcast returns tomorrow morning have a great day